You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Chris Lopez here, and I'll welcome you to our webinar on the Denver real estate investing landscape for September 2023. So we have lots to talk about today because the market has changed, interest rates have changed. You guys know about that. So we're going to go into the trends and actually go through about four or five recent deals that investors are doing all across the spectrum to give you a very accurate picture as to the opportunities that we are seeing in the Denver metro area. Now, before we dive into the details, I have to give you our friendly disclaimer that this is an educational webinar. Uh, we are real estate investors ourselves, uh, agents, lenders on here. We are not your CPA. We are not your legal team. We are going to be sharing some numbers, uh, but understand, make sure you go double check that and then you go talk with your team uh, to go verify the numbers. We're happy to share any follow-up details, but make sure you do your due diligence. So the agenda today is we're going to give you a quick executive summary as to what's going on in the market. We'll spend a, a chunk of the webinar going through some trends we're seeing in terms of like price appreciation, rents, uh, and just some other interesting like kind of trends where the and that highlights where the opportunity is. Then we have four deals on the buy side to go through: uh, a pretty cool seller financing fourplex, a room by room house hack, a room by room rental, and a partial burr combined with a medium term rental. And then we're going to end up with a really good opportunity for landlords with existing properties who are sitting on some equity. Uh, it's also a really good time to take some of the chips off the table, so to speak, take some of that equity off there, take some of the wins, and then potentially go and reinvest it somewhere else for diversification and also hopefully achieving some better returns. All right. So we have a jam-packed uh, webinar today, and I love talking about this stuff. I got two great co-hosts in the studio with me today. First is Mr. Chris Lawhead. What's, What's up? up, Chris? Not much. So Chris has been an investor for an investor for 15 plus years now. Something like that. Yeah. Bought my first deal 20 years ago. Okay. So 20 plus years now. Yeah. Uh, all sorts of deals. He's been an investor-friendly lender for a good chunk of his career as well. Uh, so very knowledgeable guy and fun to talk shop with and do deals with. Second co-host in the studio is Mr. Matt Amundsen. Matt's been investing for over 10 years as well, investor-friendly agent, and both these guys are on the Property Llama team as well. Glad to have you guys in the studio. Glad to be here. So we uh, we talk shop a lot, uh, you know, after the webinar, before the webinar, over text, over Slack, over coffee, over walks, over beer. We love talking deals, so we're gonna go through all this and probably go off on a couple of tangents as well. But as we go through this, we have the chat window open up as well. Please ask questions. Please post comments on here. We love interaction. Uh, it just makes it more fun for us. So don't be shy with questions. All right. So here is the executive summary for the Denver market. And we're talking like the Denver MSA area. Uh, right now, year over year prices, the average price is up about 5% since August of 2022 to August 2023. So the low inventory is doing a lot to support uh, the prices, even while interest rates have doubled and then some. Uh, no data is showing you know, any major expected changes in like price changes or anything like that. Now, with prices staying stable and interest rates going up, that's caused cash flow to be very, very hard to find. 
So achieving strong cash flow is a lot more difficult and tricks takes more creative deal making and being a lot more hands-off and and active investors. The days of easy cash flow, putting down just a 20, 20% down payment with cheap debt, those days are over. Uh, rents are kind of flat year over year as well. Uh, we're also seeing some major opportunities for landlords with high equity to take money off the Denver market and go reinvest. Last but not least, um, in Denver County and Colorado, there are some strong legislative headwinds that are making it more difficult for landlords to go out there and just more rules and regulations will go through. So you want to be aware of those, especially if you're a self-manager, because a lot has changed. It's becoming harder to manage properties right now, but also it is um, not in the favor right now of buying rentals. So just want to point out that aspect of it as well. So let's go through some historical context on here. So we were actually debating about this uh, before the webinar. So we got we got the slide here, and that purple line is showing condos. That solid black line, I think, is kind of showing home appreciation. Now, over historically, we've seen prices appreciate historically like five to six percent and change. You know, obviously some years better, some years uh, less. But we have seen the prices really climb the last couple of years, and we can't really zoom in on here. But we've seen prices flatten out, maybe tick down slightly. And a lot of the forecast we're seeing is that, you know, in 2024 and 2025, the next couple of years, we'll probably see some modest appreciation. And that's actually like taking a bunch of like different, you know, um, forecasters out there, kind of bundling them on there. So we got a question here from Kim and she's saying, I'm actually hearing price decreases for rents due to a lot of new apartment inventory coming on the market. We'll come on that in a minute. Sorry, I thought that was prices on here. So we'll come back in a minute, Kim. Chris, Matt, what do you guys say to this? You guys are investors. What do you say about these trends? Are we going to see a big dip like this like we saw in 2008 timeframe? No. Short answer. No? Absolutely not. A man of many words? Okay. <laughs> Short answer is not not a dip like that. That was that was extreme and that was caused by just loads and loads of bad debt um, secured by real estate back then. I do think we're probably going to see prices soften through the end of the year, especially if rates keep going upward like they're doing. I think that's going to continue some softening. But with the low inventory, right, we get your crystal ball. We'll, we, we will see. But I, I feel like we're going to see prices soften a little bit. Hopefully rebound in the spring like they usually. Well, yeah, I, I did have to lower the price on on one of the deals I just exited, um, and so yeah, it's it's rare that we've seen prices drop, but there's been some really high asking prices, and and frankly, I was one of them. So, but in terms of in aggregate uh, in aggregate dip like uh, 2008, no, the the structurally it isn't there. That's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. Now there's definitely the, the one-off deals here and there to find some stuff, but like as a whole, we're not going to see like a huge market decline. Is the consensus of us and uh, a lot of other people who are much smarter than us yep. as well. But well, yeah, and you could say that there's a transaction uh, crisis, if you will. A lot of agents think there's a transaction crisis, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, low low volume, fifty percent. Yeah, there's down. a transaction crash, right? Yeah. But not a price crash. Yeah. And uh, and lack of inventory is just propping this up, right? So. And, yeah. and everybody knows that. Yep. All right. So here is another graph that kind of shows uh, if we're in a buyer's or seller's market. Now, the last couple of years, we've been in a dysfunctionally tight seller's market. I think dysfunctional is such a good word for the last couple of years <laughs> of the market. And so it's such a, we're actually, we had like more properties under contract often than there was inventory on the market. Like that is not sustainable. 
And then once rates started going up, you can see that purple line cross back over the black dial lines where we had more inventory and less uh, properties under contract. So kind of going back to normal. But in terms of total inventories we're all talking about here, we are still technically in a seller's market. Now, I have a property that just went under contract. Waha just sold a fourplex down in Pueblo. You sold some in the spring. While it doesn't feel like a seller's market, where we get like a bunch of offers and we're going under contract you know, in one weekend. From an inventory perspective, we still are. But it's an interesting time right now with interest rates where they're at. Um, but there's still like no one's really in control, I'd say sellers or buyers. But technically, we're in a seller's market. I mean, it feels more, quote unquote, normal, actually. And the, I don't remember what normal is anymore. <laughs> the, well, the last three years, four years of it have been abnormal. Um, think back to doing deals a decade ago when there was a more balanced position between buyers and sellers. Yeah. I think that's where we're at now. I mean, you're having to entertain multiple uh, buyers when you're selling a deal, but they're not screaming um, cash, cash, cash. Here's a suitcase of cash for you. And waving right. every contingency. And waving right. every contingency. Those, those days are over. Right. Well, we've just been in that really tight seller's market for so long that I think people forget what a balanced market looks like because it's just been so many years. And then, like you say, you get to the dysfunctional time where, yeah, people were hair on fire, waving all contingencies, bringing a suitcase full of cash to the closing table to go above asking price or the the up up yeah. sell on it. And it's just, it's still pretty, pretty crazy. But yeah, it feels, I think it's just because it's been like this for so long. This is what feels normal to us. And, you know, we're right around 5,000 and change active inventory. Uh, uh, 15,000 properties on the market is about a balanced market. And you can see we've actually never really been in the balanced market for very long, um, for a couple of years here in the early part. But it kind of went from buyers to sellers. Yep. And that's just how the pendulum is right now. So the pendulum swung a little bit back from being a dysfunctional seller's market. But from an inventory standpoint, still a seller's market. Showing trends in traffic. Matt, walk us through this. Well, you can see the pink line there is 2023. So it's kind of, I would say, just kind of on the low end of normal. If we look at the most of those lines going through there, we have the aberrations of some of the COVID crazy times in there in 2021. And uh, 2022 started out hot there. Um, but it's a little low, but people are still going to look at these properties. And it's still, I mean, it's kind of still aligned with like kind of going back to the the pre-COVID super low interest rates. Like this, this is in line with yeah, 2020, 20, like 2019, 2019, 2019. 2019 is about where, where yeah. the last time we kind of felt more normal for a consistent year. And so, yeah, you look at the the hot pink line in, in conjunction to the green line there from 2019. And that that's pretty close to normal, but still with the lower volume, it right. feels a little different. Ooh, all right. First question, or next question in here uh, from uh, Roshan, or Roshan, sorry if I butchered your name there, ask, with the labor market not softening, if there is a crash and mass unemployment, i.e. debt ceiling issues in Congress, student loans starting again, how would that change your metrics? Oh, that's a good one. I'll go first if you guys are yeah. for it. I mean- I don't think it'll be a massive change on there whatsoever um, because, uh, you know, a lot of people with properties have like 50% or more equity was a recent stat I saw. So we're still very equity heavy. There's still a lot of, you know, people that have good incomes. A lot of them have the properties on there. 
Now, you know, the, the debt ceiling, when we've had issues like that in the past, like the last time it shut down, I think eight or 10 years ago, like I, I remember that and all that, like there was no major impact to real estate. Mm -hmm. Now, some closings got delayed, all that, but nothing major in the prices. Um, and like, I think it would have to be a lot of events lining up at once, have any type of like massive impact, but there's such high equity and the, the quality of so many of the borrowers are just like, you know, what, A, a plus or, you know, seven plus credit score lawhead. I just don't see that having a, a massive change on prices. Now, as that happens, unfortunately, I think a lot of that will impact a lot more renters um, than uh, owners. Obviously, I'll slow down the market some. But I think they'll be felt a lot more in renters and them having a much harder time in making their payments. I that is my best answer for you, sir. Or Agreed. I mean, that those metrics will affect the renters far more than they do the owners. Um, when you see generally, when you see financial recessions, crises, uh, rents level out, they don't crash along with with any other metric, right? Um, maybe there's a there's a small lowering, a small softening in rents, but that's pretty rare. Um, yeah. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, yeah. I, we've never seen a big crash in rent prices. No, and like you're saying there, like with student loans and all that stuff, that's really I think affecting younger people's ability to buy which like you're saying strengthens the rental market. So that's that's where I would see the more more impact for for folks yeah. feeling that financial crunch. Great question. Um this okay so as I was putting together this uh this slide deck this was actually the slide I was most talk excited to talk about in the trends cuz actually start showing some very different opportunities. So I'll tee it up and the lot's got some very interesting insights on on the financing side to here. So this is for income properties in the Denver metro area. So this is multifamily. Uh, we're not talking single family. We're talking multifamily here, Denver metro. The green line here starts in 2007 and shows the price appreciation for two to four units, uh, duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes. This black line on the bottom shows commercial multifamily. So that's five plus units. And we can see here in about 2022, the multi-residential, the green line, it's it's choppy. The commercial multifamily, man, it pulled a thumb on Louise and just went off a cliff. <laughs> pulled a what, thumb on Louise. What, what is going on here? <laughs> well, consider which one of you know. Consider who here has exposure to thirty-year fixed interest rates, thirty-year fixed debt, and think who has exposure to three-year terms, five-year terms. Maybe a seven or a 10, but I'd say the average commercial term is probably five years. Yeah, they might get a 20, 25, even a 30-year AM schedule, but you know we've got a lot of commercial debt coming due just this quarter, fourth quarter. Um, so I think that's a direct response to interest rates shooting up. Yeah. And I mean, so this is where like, I mean, the, the, the pain, like we're not seeing a massive price decrease on the residential side. You know, it's a little soft, a little, little wobbly. But where the pain's being felt and, and the price uh, decreases, and it is in commercial across the board and, and multifamily. So a really interesting thing here. So, you know, we do a lot of work with uh, Terrence Doyle and his, his Verico multifamily value investing business. And, you know, he's referenced quite a few times last few months that, hey, we are buying these apartment buildings at 2019 prices now. He is like giddy. He's like, hey, prices might fall a bit more. They might be at the bottom. I don't care, but we're buying at 2019 prices. The deals make sense. And if you go back over here, we are almost in line over here at 2019. So kind of like some, someone who's like a, a deal junkie, a deal maker, you know, he, he is deal force value first. 
here's data that's just validating what he's saying at buying 2019 prices. So this is where the big opportunities coming in from all the issues is, is on the commercial side. Yeah, those are distressed deals he's picking up, right? So imagine you're a, a young syndicator, a first-time syndicator, or an overconfident syndicator, and you're penciling your deals at 3.5% debt. And it went from 35 to 7.5% or, or is in the process of doing so. Um, there's a good chance your deal doesn't pencil anymore. Uh, and there's a, you're either doing a capital call to your investors or long story short, you might be in trouble. So then you have stout sponsors like Terrence and Verico. They can swoop in and, and pick these deals up. Like you said, 2019 prices. I mean, you could even argue that some of these deals are the best deals uh, top tier syndicators have seen in a decade. I mean, there's some there's some smoking deals out there. And I'm guessing, I'm assuming there's going to be a tremendous amount of deal flow on Terrence's desk and other, you know, top tier fund managers and syndicators uh, desks. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, when you see the line go down like that, when we were looking at the single family home a while ago, I was buying after that crash and guess how that one turned out? Turned out pretty well. If you're ready and poised to buy when that crash is happening, like you say, you can try to time the bottom, but that's not usually conventional wisdom. Right now, like you're saying, someone like Terrence looks at that and says, I can buy (laughs) at four years ago prices. That's that's buying value for cheap. Um, and that, that trend will probably reverse over time. We'll see how far it goes with the debt, how many people need to restructure and can't. Yeah. It's also worth noting that not everybody can pick those deals up, right? Uh, debt markets are tight, right? Lending is tight. There's, there's lenders that are not lending at all. And you know, I preach private debt and, and, and love private debt, private debt to the rescue, private debt's expensive, right? And not everybody can get it. Not everybody has access to it. And, uh, and so when you have a, a stout sponsor like like Verico, like Terrence come in and they're competing against, let's say, Ma and Pa's like me, um, and you're a seller and you got to exit, who's going to get that deal? He's going to get that deal. Proven track record, proven to close. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Yep. All right. So uh, rental rates and trends. So like, you know, getting getting rental data, I think, is one of the harder data points to track. Um, but I have a really good relation with Eric Ross. He is a... Uh, I think an A plus property manager at Ecospace Property Management. And so I talked this morning at, at 9 a.m. about four hours where I was, hey, dude, I need to fill in some gaps here and some rental stuff. Give me your insight. And full disclosure, he manages my rentals as well. And I think he does a great job. So if you need one, go to Ecospace and you can ping me and I'll make you guys an introduction. But, uh, you know, we see a lot of headlines out there that there's going to be a bunch of new apartment buildings coming online and there might be a supply gut glut yep. from like the, the rental perspective. You know, about 75,000 75, coming online. Almost all of these are class A properties. Um, so brand new, all the amenities, the, 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 your, your, the, the dog park has a doggy swimming pool and everything they need there. So for a lot of the properties we're buying... We're not buying class A apartment buildings. That is not what a lot of like us as mom and pop landlords are purchasing or buying. Um, and so that won't have probably, he says, probably won't have a huge impact, if any, on the assets we're buying for the smaller stuff, the older stuff, the suburb stuff. This Work, is usually workforce, course, workforce yeah. housing. Um, so I see those headlines. I think that's going to affect um, apartment buildings, the bigger ones, and there'll be big price declines in that class A, which trigger down some class B apartment buildings on there. But he's not thinking there will be any like major shift for us small mom and pop landlords. Now, he has seen from his portfolio. Now, this is his portfolio. And I, I don't know how many hundreds of units they manage now, but it's quite a bit. 
Um, their vacancy has ticked up about 1% over the year. And he gave me two different vacancy metrics. He's like, hey, right now I'm seeing at a 7.5% global vacancy because that's a little skewed because he takes on a lot of new units that have come from uh, other property managers that aren't as good or self-managers that are getting out of the game. A lot of times these are vacant properties or properties you know, in the midst of eviction. He's if you take out that new stuff onboarding, he's about a 6% real vacancy. Wow. Um, <clears throat> and then another story pointing, he goes, hey, there's the, it goes the story of extremes right now. He goes, if you're renting uh, $1,200 or less, or $3,500 or more, so like the bottom 25% or upper 25%. He goes, this is a high demand and it's moving in a matter of days. Now, if you're in the middle, that $1,200 to $3,500 range, I think is the majority of rentals. That is every rental I own is in that range. I'm, I'm in the middle. Um, he goes, those are sitting for longer. Um, he goes, the rents have softened a little bit, not seeing any major price declines, but they're just taking longer to fill. I think part of that he was saying was we're also seeing a lot more higher renewals um, than normal. So normally they turn about 25 to 35% of their units a year. Now they're turning about 14 to 18%. Did he say why that is? His expect or his uh, best correlation was just people are, are sitting still. They don't want to spend the money yeah. to move and out there like, hey, I'm not finding a better place. And people's kind of like, kind of the same reason why he drew a lot of analogies to like the, the uh, sales side of real mm -hmm. estate. Where there's a lot of activity last summer. Now everyone like no one wants to sit tight and move. Yeah, everybody's um, hunkering down. Yeah. Right. And so he says, hey, we're doing is hey, on those people, more people are staying put and we're putting in very modest rent increases, usually, you know, one to three percent, so maybe fifty dollars. So a lot of times it's better for the landlord because you don't have a month of vacancy and also turn. No vacancy. That's what I was thinking. There's the lost stat in there is yeah. the savings from not as much turnover. Oh, it's huge. And and like you say, like having a unit vacant for a month, that's, I mean, you I know, like you know. to see less turnover there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, turnover is a biggie. Yeah. Turnover is big. Just a little message to the various syndicators who send us deals and claim they're conservative. And we look on your your vacancy rate and say two to 3%. <laughs> um, that's a real metric right there. That's 6%. I prefer to see that. Yeah. And, and if I'm vetting a deal, I would go to a source like this, look at his 6%. And put a point on it. Yeah. Well, you look at that too, like the point you're making there, seven, seven and a half percent globally. That's because he's getting stuff kind of in distress that he's in right. the process of stabilizing. Right. So he's indicating that his stabilized rental portfolio is yeah. more like 6%. Mm -hmm. You add in the volatility of, like you say, the mismanaged properties and long-term evictions and such, and it goes up to seven. And a good chunk of his stuff is single family residences, which I think- I think we'll see different uh, rent increases and vacancies as next year plays out between like class A multifamily and uh, a house in Littleton or a house in Aurora. Yeah, um, agreed. And and what have we been penciling that vacancy rate at the last five years? 5%? I yeah, mean, usually five to bit, six. So, yeah. Um, Matt, I see your comment there saying Eric last told you it was $6,800. Can you, uh, yeah, give a little context on there. I, I lost what part you typed that in there. Uh, Kim has a couple questions on here. Uh, she said, how much longer for the middle? Can you speak on time frame? Um, gosh, I, I don't think he said a different one. I think it just, you know, it's taking, I would say a couple weeks longer is what I think. Take it with a big grain of salt. Now, what I can tell you is why well, I had Eric on the phone. I was like, hey, by the way, uh, this vacancy I have on this fourplex in Westminster, has that been filled yet? And I think that took, I want to say like four to five weeks to fill. And that is a two bedroom, two bath. 
Um, definitely on the, the nicer side of a you know two bed two bath apartment. It's a it's a townhome style remodeled a couple of years ago. You know much it's in like the top five percent of its its peers, and that took about four to six weeks to fill. Now a couple of weeks ago, I talked to one of his staff members, and we had it rent you know on uh, market for sixteen fifty. They hey we recommend holding more because dropping is not going to do a big difference for you. We got sixteen fifty. I think plus a pet expense or something else where it's like $1,650 plus $7,500 a month in rent. So we hit those numbers. But Kim, for me, last couple of years, those would fill in two to three weeks. And this very one small sample size took, I think, five weeks or maybe six weeks to fill. So it took me a little bit longer. Yeah. Kim's at three months. Yeah. Oh, Matt was saying that $6,800 was uh, Eric's portfolio units. size yeah. of 600, 800 rental units. Oh, okay. oh, I'm sorry. You're experiencing three months of vacancy right now, Kim. That's a tough one. Uh, lower the price would probably be the immediate reaction, but tell us some uh, comments in there. Michael says, with those new two-bedroom townhome style rentals, will those compete with the 75 units coming online? No. I mean, mine is more, I'd say, like workforce housing. Um, and this is in like um, like 80th and federal area. So different, very different market than the Class A. Uh, and we don't have any of the amenities on there. So I don't see any like... The people renting class A, different class than people renting this workforce housing. Yeah. Does anybody keep track of the cranes, right? When we're driving right. driving I-25, looking at those cranes for many, many years, all those cranes are built. If they're building multifamily, it's A class, yep. right? Nobody's, listen, you, you can't build workforce housing anymore. No. I mean, the fifth, fixed costs make it essentially imp impossible to make a profit, Yeah, right? They, they build luxury houses yep. instead to sell. Um, so a question, Tim says, do you, rec do you recommend any rental websites to advertise your property? Um, I mean, there's all the standard ones out there, but I, I use a property manager. Um, so I, I don't have any specifics for you on there. Yeah. A couple of comments, just, you know, rotten time to turn over. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're going into the fall winter now, which we're going to see if you guys have vacancy, get it filled sooner rather than later. Nothing good happens on rentals come, uh, you know, come early November. Come fall. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And the last comment here that Eric said was that rent growth as a whole has been flat year over year. So from summer to summer, it's been flat. And he said very similar to RE sales that late spring, early summer is kind of the peak. Um, now a lot of people, if you bought right then, hey, you're you know you're probably can sell for a bit less. Like most people right now, that was the peak rental rate. So rents have flattened uh, year over year. All right, these are great questions. Thanks, guys. I will move on so we can hopefully get through all these deals as well. Uh, lots of legislative headwinds for landlords to be aware of. I'm saying this from two perspectives. One is if you're a self-manager, man, there is a lot more to be aware of now. I think this is a very hard time to be a self-manager. Uh, second, it is becoming less landlord friendly um, for that. So, you know, this last year, we've talked about this numerous times, Denver County, which includes, you know, Denver County, Denver City are the same thing. They now require rental licenses. Last year was for multis. Uh, this year is for single families. So if you own a property in Denver, make sure you get it uh, licensed. Uh, what was that smirk you guys did? I have I have signed my permission slip in order to continue uh, operating in, in something I've done for over a decade. So there you go. I, I, I've <laughs> um, signed my permission slip to the powers that be. Yes. Yeah. Play, uh, play by the rules. Play by sir. the rules. Absolutely. But yeah, I, I mean, I, like. I personally don't like the headwinds we're facing, um, and that's part of my reason for you know liquidating a lot of my rentals because I have self managed for a long time, and it used to be pretty pretty simple, pretty easy. You just you know you provide a good safe place for people to live, and 
And that no. was that was nice. Now the the government needs to make sure we're doing that, which apparently means a lot of enough people were not providing a, a safe place for people to live, yeah. which is too bad. But yeah, I mean, definitely get rid of those slum lords. Um, yeah. So we've done a couple of webinars on the rental applications. Uh, we could go to the website. We can send it to you if you if you guys have that. Make sure you're following the rules. And actually, just uh, recording this on Tuesday, last Thursday, uh, me and Jenny Bayless just recorded like an hour long podcast with Daniel Muldoon who is a property manager in Pueblo and Springs, uh, but he's also the president of the Colorado Landlord Legislative Coalition, which is a, a nonprofit um, advocacy group for landlords. I can't even begin to sum it up, but just that'll be on a couple of weeks. That is a must listen. He was on point with talking about the legislation that came out the last year, what's coming up. So very eye-opening. And so I definitely recommend everyone listen to it. If you're self-manager, really listen to it. And also after that podcast, I signed up for, I think, $20 a month to support the group and get plugged into there as well. So a very good advocacy group that I'd highly recommend people bring up the credit card support and also be aware of uh, the petitions that we can sign online to go out there. Uh, but Jules, that should be um, in a couple of weeks, two weeks. Yeah. So about two weeks from now, say the second week of October. So let's talk about where the opportunity is on here. So this is a strategy matrix that uh, Steve Medina and team put together. And he put it together for Northern Colorado. And I, in all transparency, just kind of copied and pasted for this Denver webinar. It's all about the same. But it goes through, and we won't go through uh, detail by detail, but kind of goes through some very common strategies on here. Red light, green light, yellow light in terms of like difficulty and some opportunities on here. And uh, I mean, Matt, I think you aptly had a very good like fortune cookie statement out there. You said before, as far as like, where is the opportunity right now when it comes to investing in rentals? Yeah, the opportunities I see are kind of on your more entry level, the house hackers, the people who are willing to do more legwork, do the room by room, short term, midterm rental, that stuff that's a little more labor intensive, hands on kind of approach. Um, and we're going to analyze one of these deals where you can see that in a little more detail. The the missing middle, I call it, is kind of where like Lawhead and I, and I think you have kind of existed, is kind of more in the long-term rental space where it's just really hard to find a deal that cash flows without bringing, you know, 40% down or more on that property. So I call that the missing middle. And then like we've outlined with the with that graph that shows the decrease in prices in that multifamily space, that workforce multifamily passive investment type world. If you're in the investor accredited investor world and you can get into that space. So I see the opportunities on either side of there and then kind of what I'm calling the missing middle. Yep. Yeah. I agree. hundred percent. I wish that that graph had uh, the passive fund, the passive syndication investment. So Steve, I know you're on this call. You're up, buddy. I, I was going to say, the, the other fixed laws, I can send you the spreadsheet and then you go add it yourself. Like, oh, I want this. I'm like, awesome. Here's the spreadsheet. I, I thought I Thank you for volunteering. I think I just delegated to Steve, didn't I? Okay. <laughs> I was thinking you might get a text message here in a minute. Um, no, but this is just, again, like as we go through these couple of deals here, um, you know, kind of being that more the hands-off landlord, which I've been, hey, I want to go out there and put, I'm happy to put down a good chunk of money. House and those property management, light renovations, very hard to cast without getting creativity on there. All right. So now here's the fun part. We have uh, 30 minutes left. We got five deals to go through. We're going to go through them a little bit faster than I planned, but they, they are great to talk about here. So deal number one uh, is a fourplex with seller financing. So this is an awesome deal that Lauren Valinotti on our Envision Advisors team uh, just put together in the last week or two. So it's a fourplex in a great neighborhood of Denver or just south of Denver. 
It is newly renovated, uh, very walkable, uh, near many amenities, and has a potential for an investor or house hacker. Now, she found this deal on the MLS from our clients, but our client is an experienced investor and a hands-on active investor. Now, what the numbers are, it's a, it's a fourplex with three studios and then one one bath, uh, one bed, one bath apartment on there around an $850,000 price at minimal improvements needed since it was renovated recently. But here is the amazing part about it. Seller financing at a 3.5% rate, 10-year uh, balloon, 20% down. So this is kind of like, wow, that sounds like deals were buying two or three years ago. Actually, a little bit better. It's 20% down versus 25% down. Mm -hmm. So it's a, you know, it's a really good debt deal on here on a good property in a great location. It pencils out to a low 6% cap rate, uh, a 9% cash on cash return, and about a $16,000 year annual cash flow. Now, keep in mind, those numbers are self-managing. So if you had a PM fee in there, you know, mid five cap rate and drop the cash flow and cash on cash return some. So uh, I wish I could say that we are seeing five to 10 of these deals a month. Uh, we were unfortunately not quite seeing that yet. We see these, uh, this is definitely on like, hey, we see these very, very rarely. And also Lauren is just an exceptional agent and out there hunting deals and putting things together. So so props to Lauren on this. Um, but it's it's a great deal and something we see. Uh, and this is something I want to talk, uh, have you talked about a lot since your lending experience, seller financing. Everyone wants to do it. Why is seller financing so hard in the residential market? Well, for one, it's far easier when the seller has a paid off property, right? If they have debt on that property, an assumption is trickier than than it sounds when after you listen to a guy explain it in 30 seconds on YouTube. It's, it's basically non-existent. It's hard, very, very hard to assume a loan. You can do a wrap, that's more difficult. What's been what's even more difficult is simply explaining this to a seller, right? And and so there's clear advantages for sellers to turn the sellers into a bank. Um but most sellers are not uh, experienced originating notes, right? Originating loans, putting a debt deal together. Um, there can be great benefits to getting your money over a longer period of time. Now, of course, I'm not your tax advisor. Take everything I say with a heaping spoonful of salt. <laughs> but, you know, if you get a million bucks in cash, you know, from a sale one year or you get that spread over 10 years and then a balloon at the end, there may be some tax advantages to that, right? Um, and then you do this long enough, at least for me, you think, why don't I just be the bank? The bank kind of has the easiest job. So when you're doing a seller financing deal and the sellers paid off something that they bought 30 years ago, 40 years ago, um, and now they're the, the bank and they don't have to deal with the toilets and the tenants, they love you, right? So the challenges are, are, are explaining this to the seller to get the seller on board. You know, the assumptions and the wraps, those are pretty darn tough to get. And, uh, and this is an amazing deal. So props to Lauren on, on finding this one props to the seller to figuring out, well, Hey, there's a great advantage to this and, uh, congrats on the buyer. So the punchline there is for seller financing opportunities. Don't, I would not reorient your whole business plan for that. Um, it's usually for paid off properties as law had said. Now, if you're an investor out there with a paid off property, I would dig in that cause that's a very good opportunity around the marketplace as law had said. Um, otherwise, hey, hunt for these deals. We're hunting for them. Um, if you really want to hunt, start cold calling people as well. But like these deals are, are far and few between. But hey, get a couple here and there and we'll take them. Well, it is inspiring too. I mean, deals are still getting done, right? Yeah. So here's a perfect example. You don't give up. 
You know, oh, yeah. so maybe you had to look at 50 deals in the past to get one done. And then later you had to look at 100 deals to get one done. All right, maybe you got to look at 200. But these still pop up, so you just don't stop. Yeah. Uh, Erica asked, is anyone getting properties closed from the sim- assumable mortgage? No, not really. I mean, there, there's going to be 0.01%. There's always one in here and there, but we have not done any. A lot of their lenders I've talked to, title people I've talked to, agents all been no, 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 no. It's less than 1%. Yeah. So I, I'm going with your yeah. with your uh, metric, 0.1%. I mean, it's just super rare. Now, in the commercial space, those loans are structured to where they're actually, they're meant to be assumable, but that is five plus commercial multifamilies and those properties. But in residential, it's tough. Jennifer says 3.5%. Really? Yes, really. What is the typical in seller financing rates? It's all over the board. Um, what I've seen from the, like I said, the you know the one or two residential deals and commercial deals I've seen, it's like three and a half to five percent. A lot of times, what I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean we we've seen that one. Terrence uh, got a killer uh, seller finance deal on one of the uh, apartment buildings in Verico two and Verico three, I think. But that's neither here nor there. Yeah. They're out there, uh, but they obviously need to be lower than market or. If they've got to be, if they're around market, then then that buyer obviously doesn't qualify for traditional debt options. Yeah, but it's yeah. negotiable. That's the beautiful thing about it. Now, uh, quick uh, thing I forgot to mention. So this podcast, this podcast, this webinar is sponsored by Envision Advisors and also Property Llama. So Envision Advisors is our local investor friendly team here at Your Castle Real Estate. So if you need help putting together a business plan, want to get into the rental game, whatever it is, we're happy to sit down. We'd love to sit down with you and put together a consultation. Whether you're buying your first property uh, or you have multiple properties, please reach out to us. We love uh, helping to find what your goals are and then working together to put a strategy together. Like we will present what's working in the market, present ideas to you, and we'll go from there. All right. So uh, deal number two, house hack and doing room by room rentals. Now, again, this is the uh, an extreme house hack deal here. This is one that Jeff White who is our poster child for house hacking. Um, I like to say, literally, I need to put him on a poster um, <laughs> in here. Like he he is just that you're, I see we talk about hands-on, creative, active investor. It is it is Mr. Jeff White. And uh, he's got an amazing wife now, Suleika, who's his partner in all this. Uh, but he helped the client do this. And this is a, um, a single family home in Aurora, I believe. And it's kind of like a bi-level uh, where it's four bedrooms upstairs, two bathrooms uh, upstairs, and then a giant basement downstairs where they, I think there's one bedroom, one bath, and they can add three more bedrooms on here. So what the house hacking is, the person moved into here, put a 5% down payment, maybe a little bit lower, but 5% conventional is a typical type of a payment on there, uh, just around a $540,000 price point. Um and then they use some seller credits to buy their rate down to just under 6%. So got some seller credits, use that. And it probably needs about five to $8,000 um, to add the bedrooms in the basement. So putting up some drywall, maybe an egress window or two. And yeah, that's also the person doing it themselves as well. Right. I was going to say eight grand at three bedrooms. Don't you remember those days when you used to swing hammers while ahead? <laughs> when, when you work for free. I, I do remember But th- this is where like people, like they're, this is going to a, a younger, hungrier investor yeah. where they're, they're putting in sweat equity. Okay, fair enough. Um, that's, that's is, awesome. is that what this is going for now for, you know, people like us? That's, we're in a different phase now, you know, for better or worse. But here's a crazy thing. While he's living there or she's living there, they're living for free and capturing about $10,000 a year. And that was renting all these rooms out between $750 and $800 a month in rental income. 
um, after moving out, it'll probably bump up to about $17,000 a year in cash flow. So again, this is self-managing, room-by-room rentals, being very creative. Um, so the numbers are showing sweat equity, uh, but we're not showing that person's time and some of the savings, uh, but great opportunity for people to go out there and put sweat equity into here. So I love these types of deals. All right. So the other type of opportunity we're seeing is a lot of people can't go out there and house act for, you know, their, their personal reasons. But, you know, another opportunity we see out there is doing room by room rentals as a rental strategy as well. And this is where the market has shipped even go out there and buy a long-term rental, but cash flow definitely put room by room rentals on your radar. So I just took the exact same house, but what I did here was I said, Hey, great. Rather than the house hacker buying and they're buying the same house, putting down a 25% down payment, 8% interest rate, um, and same improvement cost. And that would be close to $20,000 annual cash flow, 15% uh, cash on cash and a 10% cap rate. So extreme numbers where, Hey, this is what, Hey, those are cash on cash returns. People love to see, but again, uh, creative, they're out there working on the property themselves and they're out there managing the property themselves room by room as well. Love not a whole, not a big, uh, property management market for room by room rentals. No, I've seen one or two people here and there. And then a lot of times they fade away. So like if you're going to do room by room rental, uh, definitely plan on doing it yourself. And this, yeah, this one's going to be very hands-on. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to do a deal structured like this plan to be pretty involved in that property. Oh yeah. I mean, it's a great place to start. If you're starting right? out though, and you're trying to get in the game, I mean, different than when you and I started, this is, this is what I would do. I would do the house hacker. I would do this room by room if I didn't want to live there as well. Yeah. If you need, yeah, if you were in that point, Hey, you, you got time and so equity, boom, this is, this, this is the, this is a great play. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of play, like, you know, people, I'd say, I see a lot more people doing this versus like the burr strategy, the buy rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. Those are really hard to do right now, just where prices and debt are at. Yeah. But this is kind of like, I think that creative, somewhat equivalent to uh, get a property, add some value to really increase cash flow. Yeah. Um, so quick uh, question going back here, the seller financing one. Some people said, uh, why would the seller do it at 3.5% now? Uh, well, that's because like, you can't look at it from the bank they're less concerned about the interest rate. This might be property owned for 30 or 40 years. Like we just met with somebody yesterday. He's a, he, he sold the triplex owned for 43 years. So when you look at his metrics and, and he didn't do seller financing, but their metrics are a lot more different than just taking a purchase price. Like, Hey, I want some income, but a lot of times they want like, they want to clip coupons. Like, you know, like, Hey, consistent payments. And a lot of times it helps to um, mitigate it spread out capital gains over a couple of years versus a big bill in one year. That's what I was, I was going to say. Probably the the three percent, three and a half percent interest rate. Like I said, that was with twenty percent down. So that seller is taking some cash now, and then they're going to get the rest of that cash after that ten year balloon payment. So they're spreading out their taxes. It also could be so they could get a higher sell price, just so that the buyer could afford to buy it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, the so, seller gets to custom to a degree custom. Uh, plan their finances around a sale, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's the balloon in three years, five years, 10 years, whether, you know, whether it's interest rate, whether it's um, sales price, whether it's tax, you know, I, I use this term a lot in aggregate. Like, what does it look like in aggregate? You can't, you can't judge every deal by a single metric, right? Or any no. deal by a sing single metric. Yeah. So in aggregate that I, I'd assume that that seller's Pretty excited. Yeah. And you got to say, you're taking like all what's going on in their life with their their business, their income, their stage of life, their kids, their grandkids, their spouse, whatever. Like it's yep. just, you know, it can truly be a win-win situation for for both parties. And that's where that's where the deals are made. 
Uh, question here from, uh, I think it's Caesar. How is the cash flow higher with a 25% down payment and a higher rate compared to Jeff's house act deal at a 6% rate? Um, so there's always a chance I may have done the math wrong on the quick spreadsheet this morning, but I think that what it comes down to is on the room by room rental, we're putting down 25% as an investor versus 5% as a house actor. So 20% more equity on there. Less debt. Yeah. Um, at a higher interest rate. Um, so yeah, so less debt on there. And the other thing to highlight too is that 10,000 cash flow I mentioned for the house hack was while he is living there. Once they move out, it's about 17,000 a year in cash flow. Once they move out of the house hack in year one, so really more about 17 to about 20,000 cash flow is a better apples to apples comparison. Yeah. So the house hack, that person is living in one of those rooms, so it's not rented yeah. as well. So those couple factors, I think, uh, less debt in the yeah. room by room. And you're renting one more of the units. Yeah. And and don't get too sick of the numbers. Like I said, there might be a chance. I, I had like 10 spreadsheets open the last two days. Uh, so it might be uh, an error on my part, but understand the high levels. Hey, if you want cash flow, look at room by room rentals. It's a very creative way to create cash flow. I see a couple more in, uh, notes coming here from seller financing on here. I want to save those because we're not experts on that. I want to get through a couple more deals uh, in the last uh, 15 minutes here. So here's a really cool uh, uh, property right now too. It's a partial Burr property that'll be turned into a medium-term rental. So one of the deals that uh, our agent Preston Newberry is working on, great location. It's a single family home converted into like basically four separate apartments. Uh, and the plan here is able to get it, uh, you know, get it, get it at a good price. It's going to need on the high side about $100,000 in remodel. So taken down with a bridge loan. So, you know, kind of a hard money, soft money type thing, taking it down, uh, 85% purchase price, 100% on the on the renovation costs, 10% interest rate. Then after a year or so, you know, go to get to long-term financing at around maybe a 7.5% rate is what the they're estimating on there. But once the here's the two key things on here. Hey, they go on there and put the put the work in there. It's gonna add, hey, they put, you know, say $75,000 worth of work. It should add hopefully $200,000 and then some to the value of it. So we're getting a partial burr, so some, some equity on there. And to help with cash flow, this person's looking to do a medium-term rental um, with a professional uh, medium-term rental property manager. That's a hard one to say. Professional <laughs> medium-term ma uh, property management in place. Um, and cash flow will be down here a couple thousand bucks a year. But this is, I'd say, more of an equity play, more of a leverage play. And this is a, a highly experienced investor, um, a very active investor, an investor that you know does not need to milk every drop of cash flow. We're going to go out there and build um, some equity in there and then get some cash flow. And maybe even a year or two, you can turn around and sell the place and take that couple of thousand dollars, turn it to long-term capital gains, or go out there and 1031 it. Mm -hmm. So again, just highlighting some creativity out there. Again, partial burr with medium-term rental, Man, kind of a kind of a new one for me. All right, so the last deal to we'll go into is uh, kind of like the flip side. So we've been talking about, hey, deals go out there and buy. So how can we go out there and buy another property, get cash flow, build more equity? Now the other side of the coin on there is for a lot of landlords who've been buying properties the last five, 10, 15 years, they're on the other side of the coin where they've had some massive price appreciation, massive rent increases. What's the opportunity for them? Uh, and this graph uh, shows really good the amount of equity built on here. And I, I gave this, I, gave, I titled it the appreciation party is over. The last couple of years, we've seen massive appreciation. And, you know, we kind of did 
a cash advance on, on historic appreciation. And now we're going to see like lower than historic appreciation. Um, you know, we're debating, is it 5%, 6% long-term? I think the next year or two will be below that 5 or 6%, but it won't be, you know, won't be negative. But with that said, we're going to kind of see equity and appreciation start really leveling off on here. Well, the average Denver owner, property owner now is at a 50%-ish equity position. So a huge amount of equity on there. And so this presents a different opportunity for landlords out here to maybe take some of the chips off the table, take some equity off the table and go out there and reinvest it. And so we're actually going to spend a few minutes diving into what Matt has done last year and is doing again as well. And then we're going to share some what, what Wahed and what I'm doing as well, some rental properties. So Matt, tee us up. Give us a quick history on, you got into rentals, what, 10, 12 years ago? Fix and flips, oh, 16, scrambling, about to, I guess, pennies. Yeah, 13, right? 13 years ago, I guess, for the landlord. I was flipping before that. Um, and yeah, I just, I enjoyed the stability of, of just having those rentals and that passive cash flow. And then all, over all those many years of appreciation and through analyzing my portfolio with the Property Llama software, I just looked at there was a lot of trapped equity that could be performing better. I know Lawhead's one of Lawhead's metrics is if you can sell a property today and make 10 years worth of cash flow, right? You should probably sell it today, reallocate the equity. So it just kind of changed my mind in terms of like looking at my portfolio on the on the return on equity metric more than like a cash on cash return or cash flow. And so Matt actually was part of our portfolio analysis mastermind, I think 2.0 we did about a year ago, right? Yeah. And yeah. So you you did that and you you're on there, you plugged your properties into Property Llama. And this is a snapshot of four of your rentals. Um, so I highlighted, you know, he's got, you know, at that time about seven figures of equity, um, but overall a pretty low return equity. So it's stale equity and kind of goes to what Matt was just talking about. So this is a screenshot of Property Llama. And then this is, I think, one of the properties you, I think you sold this spring, right? I sold this one. And so another thing to keep in mind here is I, I was looking at this again, like these rental rates, these are what I could have had them rented for, but I had some long-term tenants in there. So these were actually underperforming on those rental numbers. Um, but yeah, this was one that just, uh, I mean, the the equity sitting there, it was just vastly underperforming. So if I freed up that equity and put this into passive investments, which is what I did, I like to be able to just double the growth of my portfolio. So that yeah. just... Once I did the math on it and kind of wrapped my head around the change of strategy, it just seemed like the logical way to go. Yeah. And if you guys, we won't go through this line by line, but feel free to take the slide deck and actually dissect it. Because as Matt and I, uh, you know, Matt and I were not talking when he was a, an attendee of the Portfolio Analysis Mastermind. But then earlier this year, we just got connected. And honestly, we're doing, we, we hit it off, obviously. But I was like, hey, man, uh, type up a summary of what he did here. And he just gave the play-by-play, -play, sold, sold two rentals this spring. And then you were planning to sell your two, two other rentals this next spring, yep, right? Two more this next spring. Just uh, if you can time the market and, and get your stuff ready for sale in the spring, that's typically the best time to do it. So it just worked out with the first two. The, the timing worked on that for positioning those for sale in 23. And then the other two, I've got those mm -hmm. positioned and ready to go for 24. And I've uh, I've had the, the good fortune of helping quite a few investors this year sell some rentals, unlock the equity. Um a lot less people are doing 1031s now just because it's really tough with the interest rates. Some are, but those days are like refi and buy or sell in 1031 and buy. Uh, that kind of peaked and it's a much, you know, probably less than 10% of the transactions now. Um, a good chunk of people are selling and just going passive investing to like a multifamily syndication or other deal because they're, they're hands off. 
Uh, they can usually offset part of their capital gains. And then they're also making like, you know, uh, they still keep a good high velocity of the money on there, like a high internal rate of return. And I've been surprised at the amount of people I've seen this has been, especially like uh, say older retirees, they're just completely liquidating um, and selling and parking money in bonds, parking money in CDs. And they're like, hey, they're at a stage in life where they just, you know, they're, they don't need growth. They're not too worried about, they're at the point where they're not worried about taxes, which would be in the, hey, cool, write a, write a big check to taxes, can deal with it. Um, they're just going for pure income. And so for a lot of landlords, they've had like, you know, like, gosh, these people, you know, they're like, hey, I've got like 70% of my net worth in the 15 mile radius of Denver right here. Um, and it's like, hey, I need from a diversification, I want to unlock some of that. And they do that. So I think there's a lot of potential there for people to unlock equity. And there's all sorts of opportunities. Some some other ones people have done. Some people have done triple net. Um, some people are, are taking that and investing in oil and gas or investing in other opportunities. But like, hey, you have to look at that equity in your property as like money in your piggy bank. And what's the best use case for it? And that's a big reason we are doing the portfolio analyses with Property Llama. Um, I'm not sure if those QR codes are actually working now, Jules. Okay, yeah. So those QR codes are working in scheduled time with, with Chris or Matt. Uh, I, I'll, I'll be on some of those as well or just email one of us. But we love sitting down and actually helping people go out there and look for opportunities in their portfolio. It is probably like, I don't know, it's like one of the most fun things to do right now. Because like while there's these big trends we're playing with, you start saying, hey, your portfolio with what you're doing in life, oh, every... Everyone is just different and it's like, it's a fun strategy game. It's amazing. And and just to be clear, that's why we're all sitting here together, right? So Amundsen took a peek at, at the Property Llama software and was convinced that he should do some exits <clears throat> and go into these funds, right? Some of these funds run by Ironton and Lon Welsh over there, of which we, you're a partner and and you're you know one of the founders of the Property Llama. And he convinced me. And, uh, and do then, the math. And then I got into yeah. it. You didn't miss you something. Do the math. Do the math. Do the yeah. math. And then I came on board with with all you guys, and and uh, you know it is pretty fun fun to do. And and it took it, it took a little bit to to get me off the fence, right? It, it took a, a trusted friend in Matt going, dude, do the math. Well, and it and, took it took me a, like before that, it took me a couple months to kind of get there. You know, like I said, it it was a quite a large strategy shift for me. Oh, it's a huge paradigm shift. Like yeah. I do, I'm glad you guys are talking about it because it, it takes months for people to wrap. It took me months to wrap my head around it yeah. too, especially you got to digest like, no, that I always 1031 or why, why would I do it? And then you, you sit on it, you're in the numbers, you're in the numbers again, you're in the numbers again, you're in the numbers again. And like, it's very, but like, if you have equity in your property, sit down and do this. Yeah. Another great reminder is if you have leases renewing, if you're looking to do a renovation or refinance, I've got the three R's now. If you're doing a, a refinance, a renovation, or a release, every time you do that, hopefully before, come in and do a portfolio analysis you know, on your whole portfolio, but also on that one property. Like Matt, just I think a week or two weeks ago, we were chatting back with a client. He's about to put, I think, close to $20,000 into a remodel on the duplex. He's like, yeah. hey, before we do that. Let's just run the numbers and see, hey, if you sold it, did this, let's always come back and revisit the numbers. And our goal here is to like present opportunities and options. What if, what if, what if, and also play a little bit of the like devil's advocate on there yeah. um, and say, hey, you could do this, do this, you could do this, get your goal, do this, consider this. So it's a really good uh, thing to do. We love doing it. Please enter your properties in a property llama, uh, schedule time with us. Um, and I know we can talk about this forever, but I got just oh, yeah. a few more things yes, to say. Yes, please one, take one it awesome over. One thing that you introduced, Lon reiterated, 
Amundsen pounded into my brain that you have to look at your deals in current terms, right? Just because you bought a 10 cap 10 years ago doesn't mean it's a 10 cap now. Now it might be a three cap. You have to evaluate your deals as they sit. Yes. Um, and and for whatever reason, when you're on the software, when you're on Property Llama, it just makes it easier because it's visual. You see it right there. You know, it's gotten me out of my spreadsheet onto the fancy graphs, if you will. And uh, just that concept that you guys have pounded into my brain has really changed my perspective significantly. Um, Mine too. I, I I used to get stuck on that because I would be like, well, a ca- I'm cash flowing $1,000 a month on this property. Right. It's like, well, yeah, that's great, but look what that equity could be doing. Every time you do one of the three R's, you are tying that money up for another period of time and you need to assess, is that the best use of that that equity, that money? Yeah. And so we're going to do, we're actually going to kick off another like PAM portfolio analysis mastermind in the near future. And we're going to do another, another group one, which is fun. But in the meantime, like take these notes, do one-on-ones with us, get your properties in the property llama and just what if it, what yeah. if, what if, what if, and I know, uh, Lod, you think you just sold a fourplex in Pueblo yep. two or three weeks ago, just closed. Yep. Yeah. And then you're taking a good chunk of that and I think going passive, right? And yes, indeed. Deal. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I sold the farm. I mean, it, it, it makes sense. I had the stale equity. Wow. And when you look at it, it was stale. And those cap rates, <laughs> <laughs> those Sorry. those cap rates were not, the, the current cap rates were not what I bought them yeah. at. Right? So. And, I, and I'm and i selling a property right now, the the house with AD that I've done a pretty good job documenting. Um, that sh- I think should went under contract. It will close, uh, I think, mid or late October. And I'm going to take a chunk of that, throw it in the past. Something the same thing was like just Timing on that, um, and where I'm at my phase of my life, I'm I'm unloading some some rentals. So then, to keep in mind is like I'm gonna sell one, maybe two rentals in the springtime. I'm still kind of doing some math. I know Matt's gonna sell. I have yep. two rentals two, in the springtime. Two, yep, two up and ready to go. So we never preach timing the market, um, but if you're able, if you if that's the route you want to go, springtime is historically the best time to sell. Most buyers are out. It's the biggest demand, and you should get. The t- you know the, the the best dollar amount for your investment property, um, but if you're doing that, uh, we got to start planning like basically like today. Start planning for it because hey, if you're going to sell a property, you don't want the tenant in place because this will go to an owner occupant. They're going to spend a lot more than an investor. Investors are cheap; they want value. Um, and a lot of these houses, we've seen some appreciation. It's going to go to an owner occupant for a starter home or trade up home potentially. In my case, yeah, those are single family homes. If you're like you say, if you're in in the investment property duplex, triplex, you might want to actually have tenants in place or oh, yes. like with the house hack or the room by room, maybe one of the units vacant, right? So if somebody, so a house hacker wants that property, they can get some tenants in tow and have their, their unit to live in. Yeah. Some different strategies, all these different strategies. Like yeah. say, we just want to help people talk it through, think it through and come up with the best path forward for them. I mean, yeah. That's all we're trying it, to do. It's all we do anyway. Yeah. Whether we're going, riding up to the mountains to go snowboarding or just walking down, we're talking about this. All the time, yeah. Um, so yeah, happy to 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 talk with yeah, anybody loop you, and everybody loop you about it. Yeah. All right, and then a uh, couple quick comments here to wrap up here. Uh, Colette said, "Love chatting and working with Matt on this. Oh, and hey, what Colette. an awesome tool! So, thank you, Colette, for sharing lots of awesome stuff." And uh, I skipped or so. Yeah, I said, "Well, um, the the investor on this partial Borromean term rental is like, oh." Uh, uh, just bumped rehab up to about $250,000. So some change in that deal there. So like I said, lots of fun stuff to talk about. What over uh, budget? That never happens. Oh my gosh, it never. Um, hey, shout out to Kaz. What's up, Kaz? 
Oh, can no. I do a shout out? Yeah, just, you can do I a just, shout just out. Just I like that guy. So normally you ask permission before, <laughs> but that works as well. <laughs> all right. Awesome. So I know we're a couple months over. Uh, we covered all the highlights on here. So to recap it, um, no forecasting on massive price dep- uh, declines on the residential side. Rents will probably stay flat. Um, no major impacts on a bunch of the Class A stuff coming online. There are opportunities out there for people that want to be active and aggressive and a little creative on the deal making out there. There's opportunities out there for people on the equity side to go take the money and reinvest elsewhere. When I forgot to mention, we've got some people selling Denver stuff, 1031 down at Pueblo. Like there's all sorts of deals. Our goal here is to give you really good advice, earn your trust, and help you make the right moves in your portfolio to get you towards your goals. If we can help you out with that, we would be honored to. That is part of the game we love to play. So if you have any questions on here, uh, please reach out uh, for a strategy session. Please reach out for a portfolio analysis session. We are here to uh, educate you, do some what-if scenarios, and also serve you and challenge the best way to make your portfolio work for your goals. So we're out there. Thank you so much for attending. Matt Amundsen, Chris Lawhead, thank you guys. Thank you. Always thank uh, you. fun having more at the roundtable. That was fun. We'll see you guys soon. Mm-hmm.